Welcome back to the Round Guy, the podcast. As uh, uh, we have a very welcome special to the podcast, Dave Johnson, Mrs. Johnson's favorite son. Anyway, we have a very special guest today with us who is going to talk to us about Rocky Marciano, who uh, on Sunday, August thirty first at eight oh five, crashed. A, was in a Cessna that crashed near Newton, Iowa, in a pasture. Uh, and ended the life of this great man. Uh, we have with us uh, not only the round guy, but uh, one of the round guy's best friends in the world, Willie Fredo yeah. Farrell, whose brother was on the flight, and he's going to give us a little insight about the show. Welcome to the program, Willie. Nice to be out, fellas. How you doing? I like, I like your Come to Des Moines all the time, and he visits. I mean, I've got lots of pictures of me when I was a little kid, you know, 
hanging around the rock and everything. Well, anyway, my father uh, got sick in uh, in uh, 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 September of uh, of 1967 and died uh, in November of 1967. And after my father died, my brother Frankie, who was a hell of an athlete himself, he played uh, he was all state high school baseball and basketball player. Even though he was only five six, actually went to college. Played one year at Arizona State with uh, alongside Reggie Jackson, Rick Mundy, Val Bando, and uh, um, uh, after uh, after uh, my father died, my brother quit school, and kind of like in the Italian tradition of the families, you know, my, my oldest brother was already married. My brother Frankie's the second. He came back home, was going to take care of the family, and that's what he did. He uh, uh, he, he did some things, that, and, and he got to get to know my father's friends well, and one of them was Rocky Marciano. And he, Frankie used to use Rocky for uh, promotional stuff. Frankie uh, was uh, uh, an insurance company in Des Moines, and he would bring Rocky around to do promotional stuff for him. And even though there was a great difference in their age, Rocky was 46, Frankie was 21, they got to be pretty good friends. And uh, what happened was um, they actually uh, they, they were doing some things together. They were in Chicago. They were going to fly commercial back home. We were going to have a surprise birthday party for Rocky at uh, the uh, uh, what was it called the charcoal room at the time a uh, 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 bar uh, restaurant on Indian Old Road and Seventh Street still there the building's still there and my uncle owned it my uncle Bill Randa and we were going to surprise Rocky 46th birthday all the Italian people are going to be there we're going to have a great time and uh, we get a call from my brother Frank in Chicago who that night actually called and I talked to him that he had dinner. That night, and I remember he was all excited. He said, I just had dinner over Andy Grantelli's house with uh, Ken Harrelson, the Hawk. Remember the Hawk played for uh, the Red Sox? Yeah. And I remember telling, and I remember asking my brother, I said, uh, I said, uh, uh, Bob, did you get an autograph? And my, I remember my brother telling me, don't worry, I'm going to be seeing a lot more of these guys. And so he said, but tell Tommy, my older brother, he says, we've gotten, uh, instead of flying commercial, we've got a guy, a friend of ours, of a friend, is going to have a guy fly us on a private plane home. And uh, so that was it. We were waiting for him on the private plane. And uh, what happened was, uh, as the story goes, the pilot was a great guy. He was trying to be helpful. Really wasn't versed in, uh, in, in night flying. Got into a very, very bad buggy um, uh, area. Couldn't read his, uh, uh, couldn't read his uh, the, the, the stuff real well to tell him where he was at. Thought he was 300 feet in the air. Well, first of all, they were flying over Newton. They were going to try to come to Des Moines. Knew they couldn't make it. So he thought he was 300 feet in the air looking at his gauges. He says, I'm going to go into this cloud bank and, and try to land. Goes under the cloud bank. He's not 300 feet in the air. He's 30 feet in the air. Goes over a bunch of trees to, to get into a landing. Finally brings the plane down. There's one tree. Wing catches the tree, catches a big stone fence uh, uh, that was made down there. Plane skids into the fence. My brother and uh, the pilot thrown clear, but obviously... They died on impact. Rocky stayed in the fuselage, and and that was it. I mean, it was just uh, you know one of those things where it, it probably could have been avoided. I saw they had a thing not too long ago on TV talking about uh, uh, airplane crashes that that could have been avoided, like uh, you know uh, John F. Kennedy Jr. You know certain things like that, and this was one of them. This is one that didn't have to happen. So uh, you know, but you know, such is life. So so how how were you? Uh, made aware of this. What what happened? Well, we, we, I was. We were at. I we were at the, uh, the charcoal room at, at this restaurant, and I can remember. You know, it's so funny. I was 13 years old at the time, 
and it was a rough time for all of us. We, we lost our father not, you know, not, not less than two years before. So, you know, we're still kind of reeling from that. And I just remember being outside excited that my brother was going to come home with the champ and we were going to spend some time together because we've done it before. And I remember just walking outside that day, you know, that night, and just looking into the sky going, God, it's, you know, it's pretty eerie out here. But, you know, they'll be home in a little bit. They'll be home in a little bit. And all of a sudden, I remember going into the, uh, the restaurant and my brother's girlfriend's in the back room. And she's crying and she's on the phone. And then, you know, at that point, you, you put, uh, put one and one together and you saw, you, you knew what happened. And then that was it. Then they finally just told me, you know, Frankie didn't make it. So, you know, sucks. Wow. Well, and, and yeah. this, this may be the, the best kept secret here in the state yeah. of Iowa. There are so few people yeah. that know that yeah. that crash occurred and, mm-hmm. and it occurred in Newton and it yeah. was an effort to bring Rocky Marciano to this banquet yeah. and and it just uh, it, it's just bizarre and you lost your brother uh, the yeah. pilot and and the champ now uh, I assume then that that somehow they tra- they transported uh, uh, Rocky's body back to his hometown then for the funeral there. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, had the funeral for your brother and, and the family yeah. of the pilot uh, here in Iowa yeah. too somewhere. Yeah, it was at the Dunn's funeral home up on uh, on uh, 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 Grand Avenue, and, and and very and very sad. I understand that you know just less than a year and a half earlier we had the same funeral there for my father. So it was like you know you, you talk about a you know hate to go on kind of things, but it was a one-two punch. You know what I mean? Sure. So my dad dies, like, oh, God. And then and then you hear you got this this kid that just turned 22 years old. It's got the, you know, should have the world by the by the balls. And then he's gone. And, uh, you know, so it was, yeah. And uh, it was sad. My, my uh, matter of fact, my, uh, my brother, my older brother and uh, two of my cousins had to uh, drive to Newton that night to identify the body. And, uh, you know, it was just, just it, was, it was just, you know, just surreal. I even talk about it to this day. It's surreal. And yeah, for a long time, no one knew anything about it. But uh, a couple of years ago, they finally uh, they finally did, did a Rocky Marciano dedication. And if you drive out that way now, they actually have a rock out there. It says Rocky Marciano on the rock, and they have a little thing there that talks about my brother and the pilot. And it's a it's a nice little thing that they finally put together. I mean, it took them almost fifty years to do it, but they did it, so it was nice. And yeah, I've seen that the rock is right there, at kind of uh, right off of I eighty, and it yeah. by the the museum there. Yeah, yeah. I it's funny. I you know I'm a good little Catholic boy, so uh, anytime I go out of town, and you're wrong guy, you've been in the car with me before and seen me do it. Uh, anytime I, I go out of town, if I was driving that way, once I got under the underpass, which is also Highway 14, I always made the sign of the cross and said a little prayer. I, you know, I, I did it, and, and, and I would always have to you know tell people that were in the car with me, well, what are you doing? And I would say, oh, this is about where it happened, and blah blah blah, and. Uh, so now you know. I, now now when I, if I go that way instead of doing sign across, I just pull over and go go look at the rock. How how what percentage of people would you say live in Iowa that have no idea that that took place? Well, I, I, you know, as we're getting older, sadly, uh, I think it's more and more. I mean, I I, I don't think uh, God at this point. You know, I, I bet you eighty percent of the people that, that live here have no idea. I mean, yeah, it, because you know, like the thing, it, you know, it was almost fifty years ago. So, you know, or, or is it fifty? Well, nineteen sixty-nine. What are we talking? There's thirty-one 50, and yeah, fifty-two or three years. 
So, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's over 50 years that it's happened. So, yeah, most of the people that uh, that do remember it probably are senile and don't remember. <laughs> there you go. So, I know that you and Mark Johnson drove to yeah. the uh, and and had to walk to the walk yeah, us through what what that entailed and how you felt during that. Well, you know, we, Mark, uh, who's still on the funny bone, you know, we we used to talk about it quite a bit. You know, he always asked me how I felt and what what it was about. And, and I remember one day, and this is quite a few years ago, this is probably thirty some years ago. He just asked me. He said, uh, "How do you feel about it? Well, how do you feel when you when you go and, and you know you go by the spot?" And I said, "Well, you know, I've never actually been to where it happened." I said, I just so that day, I think I probably had a couple scotches in me, as you know, and I decided, you know what, I, I think I need some closure. So, uh, and that's what I did. Uh, we went there. It was kind of funny because it was a, it was a, a cold day. It was a winter day. I don't know why we, we why we didn't go in the summer is beyond me. And we go up to the door and we knock on the door and this lady answers the door. Couldn't be any better. And she says, oh yes, it happened back here. And, and she says, go back down and look and then you come back up and I'll go give you some cookies and and I remember going down the hill, and it was kind of slick and everything. And you know, Mark's, Mark Johnson's a bigger, a much bigger man than me. And there was at one point where I couldn't hold my balance, so I kind of got on his back, and I think I rode him all the way down the hill. <laughs> which uh, the lady, the lady must have been looking, going, "What the hell's going on there?" But uh, <laughs> yeah, we went down there, and uh, you know, I'm, I, and you know, I'm, I, I, I knew what happened by the reports, and I'm just trying to piece it together exactly. Okay, it came this way. That this, it was just, it was kind of weird too you know, recreate a, 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 a an accident like that. But that, that's what I did. And, and, I, and I tell you, it, it kind of helped. It kind of helped because I, I always always wondered what uh, exactly what it was. It was and it was sad in a way, too, because I think of my poor brother, that's, you know, later. Sure. You know, yeah. But. Well, now, did they, did they have any kind of a monument or a, a plaque to, to commemorate the the, no. uh, the incident? Nope, there was nothing. That that was the whole thing. That was just so crazy about it. All these years, there was just nothing. I mean, they, oh, it, it, there was, if you go in there, there's a, there's a museum there. They had a wrestling museum there, and uh, right off right off the interstate there. Right. And, uh, and now they've got, and I don't know if they've had it before. I know they had a little something. But now, if you go in the museum, uh, they've got like a piece of the plane. They got a, uh, uh, they got a, a, a statue of Rocky, and so they got some stuff now. But I, I really don't know how long that's been now, to be honest with you. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it, it's crazy. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I, I every time I go by, I think about it. I don't stop as much as I used to, but uh, you know, you can't help but to think about it every time I do go by. Well, it's you know, it's unfortunate if you go up to uh, Clear Lake. Yeah. And you get directions. You can walk yeah. to the crash site there, and they've got a monument there to kind of honor the the tragedy yeah. that took place there. It's unfortunate there isn't anything like that uh, there in Newton that, that people you know, can know about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I think part of the problem was around guy. I think part of the problem was uh, when Buddy Holly died. He actually was in his prime, so I think it was like a major. And I think that's the problem with Rocky. You know, Rocky was. You know, out of boxing for 15 years by the time this happened. So you know what I mean? It, 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 I don't think it had quite the impact, right? Uh, it, because of the, the fact he really wasn't in his prime, and, and people kind of, kind of had forgotten about him at that point. I think. 
Well, uh, I've been to Canastota, New York, where they have the Boxing Hall of Fame. Yeah. And and it's unfortunate that uh, that they there, uh, but perhaps they still could get behind a a uh, you know an event that would allow them to bring some kind of monument. Yeah. That, that detailed the the accident and and uh, a little story about it, and, yeah. and then uh, some weekend do that, and then bring some yeah. of the mementos they have there of Rocky Marciano and make a dedication of some sort. Yeah, and, yeah. and it I, would I, allow I, I people to know more information about it and the fact yeah. that it took place right here and. Central Iowa. Yeah, I think it's gonna yeah, it's gonna take somebody that uh, some kind of a story and that really that that means something too because like I said before it's uh, out of sight out of mind kind of thing so yeah right. someone needs to uh, definitely and, and there are, I and I know there's people out there that you know that uh, really you know look at this kind of stuff and really want to you know honor the people that deserved it like he did so you know hopefully somebody will uh, step up. Have there uh, been any, as, as far as you would know, has there been any effort for, uh, have you been contacted by anybody that would want to do some kind of a movie or they want to do a, a book about all of these uh, events, everything that led to it or not? Yeah, well, that's the problem. They've had movies about it before and there's been books about it before and we've been contacted uh, every once in a while that you ask a couple questions I've been... But you know what the problem is? Is like um, I don't know if you ever seen any of these Rocky Marciano movies. The last one that was done was uh, with John Favreau, and uh, the, the movie it's so crazy. I mean, I mean, I, I you know you watch him and everything, but whenever they get to the end with uh, with what happened, they they always gloss over it. They always, you know, I think one of the movies they had just him uh, just getting on a plane. Just you see him in an airport and he goes outside. And then that's the end of the movie. And then they have like a, the uh, you know the, the thing over that you see where it says Rocky Marciano was killed at night, blah blah blah. But they never you know they never get into um, uh, you know it, it, exactly what happened or, or you know they don't have a character for my brother or anything like that. So well, yeah. then it's it's similar to the Buddy Holly thing. You just see him yeah. and the rest of the guys getting on the plane and yeah, and then, yeah. you know that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of sucks. You know, you watch it. You know, it's, it's, but on the other hand, I understand because, uh, you know, they don't want to get sued if they say anything wrong. But, you know, you always wonder what we are. They could have got a hold of us. They could have said something. But, you know, I think maybe they're scared of uh, getting sued or maybe they're scared that they will want some money out of it. Or, you know, you never know what they want. So. Well, I remember years ago I brought you a T-shirt from the uh, Boxing Hall of Fame. Yeah. And since then, have you ever been out east enough to where you've gone to it? No, I haven't. And I'd love to, too. Well, I I went back to it uh, this last September. I was back east for a a high school reunion, and I went to it. And and I can tell you, if you go, it won't take long to go through it. But it is impressive. Uh, They do have a lot of stuff. And uh, it's worth seeing. I'm, I'm wondering if Maybe we shouldn't get a hold of them and 
and uh-huh. walk them through something like this, and maybe they'd be willing to sponsor some kind of dedication uh, out here. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd be for that. Yeah. Definitely. Without a doubt. So, Sounds do you good. know much about the pilot? I don't want to just, and, and of course, your brother uh, died in the accident as well. I don't yeah. want to just overlook oh. those two people well, I always felt sorry I always felt bad about the fact that uh, uh, you know, every time they talk about this they talk about you know especially in Iowa they talk about Rocky and there people remember my brother and my father they talk about and the poor pilot you know and he's just you know and, and sadly I mean he's always remembered as the guy that messed up you know right but uh, he uh, it's kind of weird and, and, and I'm not a hundred percent sure this is exactly but um, yeah he, he didn't have the flight construction so that's what happened but I, I remember a few years back, his son, who had the same name as him, Glenn Bells Jr., I believe, uh, and I'm not 100% sure, but I believe, you could probably look it up, I believe he was killed in a small plane crash, too. Oh, really? He had some, yeah, where, where he might have made a mistake also. Wow, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I never really have looked really into it, but I, I can remember at one time reading something about yeah, him, him dying in a crash, thinking, wow. Yeah, you know, we're the odds. You know. yeah. 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 Well, Willie, we sure appreciate you. We're talking to Willie Farrell, a uh, comic from Des Moines, whose family, uh, your dad, you alluded to it kind of vaguely, yeah. but, but uh, uh-huh. in reality, your father, yeah. uh, originally from Chicago, may have had right. some involvement with uh, uh, the mafia, if we're just going to be blunt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wouldn't say may have. I'm, I'm pretty sure what he did have. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. But, so uh, tell us a little bit more about your your family, your dad in particular, uh, his involvement uh, with the mafia, and how it wasn't uh, a shock to you to sometimes come home and mm-hmm. see some of these celebrities at your house and that were yeah. uh, there at the uh, – uh, urgence of your father and his involvement with bringing some of these people to Des Moines. Yeah, well, it, it's uh, my father grew up. Uh, he was born in 1908 in Chicago, which on the west side of Chicago, which he grew up in an area that was called the Patch. And uh, uh, w- without saying any more, he, he grew up in an area that probably produced some of the most notorious mobsters ever. And these were all kids he grew up with. Uh, uh, he grew up with a guy named Sam Giancana, who, uh, if you knew anything about the Kennedys, or you know, he was a big part of all that. A guy named Tony Accardo. Uh, we had a cousin named Milwaukee Phil Aldoricio. And, and, and these were what these guys were when they grew up in this area. They actually had a gang uh, called the Forty Two Gang. There were Forty Two members, and their sole premise: these guys, all they wanted to do was growing up was to be in in the outfit, which in Chicago is the equivalent of the mafia. Which is that's what um, that's what Al Capone's gang was called. They were called the Outfit, and uh, these kids all grew up just wanting to be to work for Al Capone. They wanted to be in in the in the Outfit, and and that's where my father started. He started off just uh, doing whatever it could to to, uh, to impress Capone, as it, you know, as they would say back then, be an earner, make some money, and uh, get noticed by Capone. And my dad did get noticed by him. And uh, what happened was he worked for him. Things were going well. Uh, uh, there was a guy that was in Des Moines here by the name of Charlie, uh, Charlie Joy. They called him Charlie, Charlie Knows Joy. And he actually ran Des Moines in the 30s. 
And uh, they're probably the 20s, too. And uh, he was here for a while, and then he got in trouble, and he went to jail. And when he went to jail, uh, my dad pretty much got promoted or demoted because in Des Moines uh, uh, to take over this area. And my dad did. And uh, and I like told Charlie Joy, okay, you're done here. Well, Joy didn't like it and uh, kind of made a beef about it. And uh, next thing you know, this poor guy got murdered. Um, and, and from hearing from my father, my father said he had nothing to do with it. Uh, it was, you know, orders from up high. Anyway, so my dad came here in 1939. Uh, I think in his mind, he was going to be here for a little bit and, you know, and, and do whatever he had to do to get himself back to Chicago. Well, he ended up meeting my wife, my, my, I mean, my, uh, my, his wife, my mother. Uh, my mother's family is pretty prominent in Des Moines here, too. My, his, my mother's mother had a restaurant on the south side called Van Jenny's. Uh, right down the street from uh, all the places uh, that you know where we grew up, and uh, Aunt Jenny's was the restaurant to be at back in the 30s and 40s. Like big when the Drake relays were in town, everybody went there. As a matter of fact, a regular there was Dutch uh, Reagan. He used to go there. Ah, yeah, uh, when, when he was working for WHO. And uh, anyway, my father would go there, and he meets my mother, and uh, falls in love. And decides uh, Des Moines is not such a bad place to live. And uh, next thing you know, he decides, okay, I'm going to stay here. And uh, this is where I'm going to uh, do my thing. And he did. And he, he, it was kind of like my little heaven. You know, the old Steve Martin movie where, you know, I'm a hood, but uh, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to readjust myself. And, uh, and, and it was kind of funny because my father never, he really wanted to be, uh, you know, part of the neighborhood and be like Ward Cleaver, but it just never, he just never was that guy. And, uh, in our neighborhood, it was crazy because uh, my our neighborhood consisted of nothing but my relatives. My mother's mother, who once again had the restaurant, had a lot of money, uh, did real well. She gave all uh, most of her kids plots in this one neighborhood. Three minute where warning. I lived, where I lived, uh, it was all my on my mother's side. It was all my aunts and uncles. It was like four uncles and three aunts and their husbands and wives. We all lived in the same neighborhood. But when I grew up, I mean, every house I went to was an aunt or uncle. And and then and then our family, which my father was, but I mean, I can remember coming home and Jimmy Hoff would be at the house. I can remember coming home seeing Rocky Marciano. I can remember coming home one day, and uh, uh, five of the largest black guys I've ever seen were in the driveway playing basketball with my brother Frankie because of Harlem Globetrotters. And uh, and the reason for that had nothing to do with being a gangster. Uh, my dad also grew up in this area. He grew up with uh, there was a, a, one of the kids that grew. He grew up with was a kid by the name of Abe Saberstein, and Abe was the one that uh, uh, founded the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. Hey, we got a couple minutes left. What's that? A couple minutes left, all we got. Okay, well, well, there you go. So anyway, so my dad was, uh, yeah, he was like a fish out of water, but he he loved it here and wanted his family to, to uh, grow up here, and uh, and we did. And, uh, you know, there you okay, go. Okay, wait, wait, Willie, let me interrupt. Uh, let's let's uh, put a cap on this. And then we'll come back and we'll finish the discussion, and that'll end up being part two of our, our podcast, okay? You got it. No that, problem. That sounds good. Well, you've been listening to Willie Fredo Farrell, uh, just riveting stuff, keeping us on the edge of our seat. Uh, we'll call this part one. Stay tuned for part two. Welcome back to Round Guy the Podcast. As we uh, <laughs> as we're talking to Willie Fredo Farrell, one of uh, Round Guy's best friends, it's been so fascinating. 
uh, as often happens, as we when we get the ball rolling, we we can't get it done in one episode. So, uh, Steve, take over for part two, and just let's keep this this fascinating train going. We are uh, tickled to have as our guests for part two of this conversation, Willie Freer, Willie Frato Farrell. Mm-hmm. Willie, you and I have worked uh, Vegas. We've worked Atlantic City and yeah, all over yeah. the state of Iowa. Uh-huh. I never. Uh, tire of visiting with you and your upbringing, fascinating uh, upbringing, not uh, that so many people can relate to because they never went through anything like this, but your father, uh, a little bit of the uh, involvement with the Cosa Nostra. There you go. That allowed you to uh, have some insight into a lot of things most kids only dream about. Yeah. When, when we last spoke, you were talking about the Harlem Globetrotters playing basketball in your driveway. Yeah. And I know you got a number of other stories similar to that. And and uh, finish up with the Harlem Globetrotters and then be sure and, and uh, tell us about the cast of Bonanza. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, Ace Saberson came to town and. Uh, uh, he stops at our house and uh, he brings the Globetrotters. And it's so funny because I walked in the house and my mother was this little Italian lady and she's just doing the dishes and she's always just always looking out the window. And I said, Mom, who, who is that? She goes, Oh, that's the friends of your father's. I mean, it, it, it was just nuts. I mean, I was like, Okay. Anyway, and my dad, see, my dad was very involved with those kids. I mean, which it was kind of weird because he really didn't know how to really react with children, but he tried his best. So he was one of the ones that helped start the, the South Des Moines Little League that my brothers played in and I played it. And uh, at one point, it was going very well. As a matter of fact, my dad actually had, uh, we were one of the first little leagues in the state to have uh, lights at night. And my dad was instrumental in getting the lights put in. Also had a, a, a saying put on the, the outfield fence that said, a boy in sports stays out of courts. That was my father's saying, which, you know, other, you know, uh, people in our neighborhood were like, well, why would your boy be in court? You know, but uh, uh, so we just let him, yeah, but that was something to him. So anyway, uh, one of the things he wanted to do to raise money for not only our little league, but for all the little leagues around the uh, state, in the city, was to have a big uh, 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 carnival and parade. And one of the things uh, that they were going to do in the parade was bring in celebrities. And uh, my dad thought this was great. We're going to get some celebrities in, and he did. And he brought in uh, he brought in uh, not only uh, he brought in the, the Cisco kid who was big at the time in the early '60s, and Michael Landon who everybody knows a little house on the prairie, but at this time he was little Joe on Bonanza. And, uh, and he came in and Michael Landon was great. He was shaking hands and kissing babies, and, you know, doing everything he's supposed to do. Well, at one point, uh, uh, somebody came to him and said, okay, Michael, we're having a parade tomorrow and we want you to ride in the parade and wave at the people. And, and, uh, uh apparently Michael Landon, uh, at the time said, I'm not, I'm not riding no fucking parade. <laughs> and, uh, I remember as a kid being in my house, Coming to my father and saying, uh, Mr. Landon uh, doesn't have no problem signing autographs, shaking hands, not writing any prayer. And I remember my dad saying, Where is he? Let me talk to him. My dad goes in the other room and uh, flash forward to the next day, Michael Landon's on the back of this Corvair, waving his hand like he's <laughs> trying to, trying to uh, wave down a plane on the wall side. He's just waving away. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Willie, what do you suppose changed his mind? <laughs> uh, 
what's the old uh, the old Godfather? I, I believe my father made him an offer he couldn't refuse. <laughs> I think that's exactly what. Uh, uh, it's always well, yeah. That's that's fabulous. You know, I, I can remember one time. Yeah, there's all kinds of weird things. I, I can remember being in our house, and my dad would say, "Come on, kids, you take me and Johnny." He said, "We're going to go out to this park, and you kids could run around the park." And I never understood that because we had right next to our house we had a baseball field. So, but he would like to take us to this one park, Thomas Park, and me and my brother we'd be there. And uh, my dad would go and he'd say, "Go run around, run." We would just why why can't we just stay home? Anyway, what he would do is he would stand by a payphone. And the payphone would ring. Every time I was there, the payphone would ring. And I go, well, how in the hell does he know? But that's how he would get his phone calls, because our phone was always tapped. Ah, uh, wait for the payphone to ring. And he, as a kid, I just didn't understand. I'm thinking, why, why is he doing that? And uh, like people always say, did you know your dad was a mom guy? And I said, all I remember as a child was the payphones. And I remember we never waited in line anywhere. <laughs> Everywhere we went, we got in. And uh, and I, one of my last memories of my father, and as I look back on it, at the time I couldn't understand it because I was, you know, you know, uh, 11 years old. But now that I look back, uh, in 1967, a movie came out. Ron, I'm sure you remember. It was called The Saint Valentine's Day Massacre. Oh yeah. And this one starred uh, Jason Robards as Al Capone. Now we go to the movie theater, the Paramount downtown. Our family, all of us. Now, understand, Des Moines is a small town that everybody knows who the girl is. So we're going, first of all, we stopped at Babe's restaurant next door, Babe's who was, Babe was my dad's good friend. My, he was best friend of my dad's wedding. Uh, he was also um, godfather to my brother Frank. So we knew Babe well. We'd go to Babe's, we would eat, and then we would go over to, to watch the movie. Now, understand, everybody's just eyes all on him, all eyes on my dad. And we go and sit down to watch this movie. And my dad, he had no indoor voice. And he really, you know, whatever he said, he said. I can remember he's like watching the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And he's saying shit like, well, that guy wasn't even there. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was, yeah, that was part of the growing up period. Now, uh, you also have an item autographed by Bobby Kennedy. Yes, uh, yeah. Everybody has autographs of Bobby Kennedy. Uh, I have, but they're they're on subpoenas. Back when Bobby Kennedy was uh, 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 Attorney General, uh, um, he he got him and my father did not get along at all. And uh, and, and and Bobby Kennedy was one of the ones when and everybody knows the story is you know why what happened with the Kennedys. Well, Joe Kennedy was a bootlegger. He was he was as much of a gangster as any of these guys, and. Uh, what happened was he enlisted the mob to help get his son elected. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, if, if you go back in history, if, if, if uh, John Kennedy doesn't win Cook County in Chicago, he probably doesn't win the presidency. He probably goes to, to Nixon. And after they got him elected, he, he, makes his, he makes his brother attorney general, and his brother turns around and says, I'm going to put all these guys in jail now. So, and uh, yeah, and he told my father at one of these hearings, I don't care if I hook or by crook, you're going to jail. And, 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 he was a man of his word because my father was under indictment uh, at the time he died. So yeah, he, he would. If my dad wouldn't have died, he would have probably did some time. So you have a subpoena signed yeah. by Robert Kennedy, right? Yeah, exactly. To go to your and it was involving your dad. Yeah, yeah. Basically, telling my dad to appear in court. <laughs> That's what it was. So. How do 
we have just one, or it sounds like there might be several? There, there was several. My, my brother Johnny had most of them. So I, I, you know, my brother passed a few years back. So we've been trying to locate where, where everything's at at this point. And, and you once told me that, that of all the numerous books surrounding the assassination of, of, of President Kennedy, yeah, there's one book where you, or maybe more than one, uh, it mentions your dad. Yeah, yeah, he, he he was mentioned. As a matter of fact, you could go, you could probably go on YouTube, and uh, there's a, a, one of the Senate Crime Committees. I believe it was either, I think it was McClellan worked. Uh, Robert Kennedy is uh, grilling my father, and uh, he's asking him all these different questions. Some of them, you know, and a lot of times they would ask these, these gangsters questions just to get him to talk. And my father was one of those people who just kept taking the Fifth Amendment. One of the questions they asked him was, was he a boxer back in his youth, which he was. Uh, but my dad refused to answer. He just took the Fifth Amendment. Uh, uh, and then another question was, uh, do you know Jimmy Hoffa? And uh, which obviously he did. But my father, once again, just took the Fifth Amendment, would not talk. And uh, yeah, that was, yeah. And, and Kennedy hated him for it. And Kennedy hated all those guys. So, you know. Oh, yeah. 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 Which, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. If you're going to work with, with uh, you know, the, the mafia... To help yeah. get you elected, and yeah. then turn around and, and become aggressive and try to yeah. get them all thrown in jail. It yeah. just doesn't make sense. Well, it didn't work out well for them either. So, <laughs> right, right. Well, there you go. Yeah. But you're saying there could have been a parade, a presidential parade through Des Moines, oh. which which would have been yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 well, I mean, you you, you watch the uh, you look at like the. Uh, any story on Sinatra. I mean, Frank Sinatra did everything he could to get that guy elected, and Bobby Kennedy turned around and, you know, and, and basically ruined his friendship, uh, Sinatra's friendship with uh, JFK. So, you know. Yeah. Basically, the, Kennedy, uh, the Kennedys, and I don't think it was so much JFK as it was his brother and his dad, but, you know, they basically just used these people to get what they wanted, and once they got it, they tried to throw everybody away, you know, and, uh, and, and they paid for it. I mean, you know, it's, you know, what happened to them was sad. We all know how that turned out. Yeah, not well. Not well at all. Willie, if you could uh, climb into a time machine mm-hmm. and go back to any event, yeah, uh, you could. What, what do you? Well, and I know you're an avid sports fan. Yeah. I know you're a history buff. Uh, yeah. What What event would you want to go back to and be an eyewitness to? Wow, that's that, that's a that's a good one. Um, geez, let me think. I, I mean, I, I, I there's there's a long list. I mean, uh, I would love to see a, a, a Marciano when he knocked out Walcott. I would like to be in the front row of that. I'd like to see the the, the knockout when Ali knocked out uh, Liston. I, I I mean, and it's funny because I'm in, I'm a my favorite sports baseball, but I just picked two boxing ones. But uh, um. Baseball, I mean, who wouldn't want to go see when you, did Babe Ruth really call the shot against the Cubs? I mean, uh, there's there's a million of them, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind going all the way back and seeing what a, what an actual real. Uh, I'd like to see how Spartacus did back in the old uh, Coliseum. I mean, uh, to see uh, one of those things. What would you? Yeah. Think, right? What would you want to? Well, I I've got several. It, yeah. I have to. Uh, I I'd, I'd like to go back in time and see the Beatles.
one or two or three out. Yeah. Uh, I, know, I, I, I think, you know, when you talk about I, I was just going sports-wise, but if you're talking every kind of entertainment, I, I would love to have been in the early 60s at the Sands to see the Rat Pack. That the Rat Pack, sure. Yeah. yeah, that would have been something to watch, I think. You know, the thing you could always, when you think about the Rat Pack, and you can think about a number of different things relative to those guys, yeah. uh, the fact that at that time when segregation was mm-hmm. prominent, yeah. I, I know there's stories about how Sinatra refused to work anywhere that exactly. would, would treat Sammy Davis Jr. Right. Like they treated all those other guys. Yeah. You know what's crazy, though, is uh, if you listen to some of those albums, which I've listened to a million times, if you just go by, if you were just listening to the albums and didn't really know the, you know, the content between them, it, it, it probably would piss some people off. I mean, the fact that, you know, Sinatra used to call Sammy Smokey, which had nothing to do with his color, but it had to do with the fact that he smoked a lot of cigarettes. Or, uh, and everybody's seen the one scene, which I don't, they probably have taken it off the air so you can't watch it anymore, where Dean Martin picks up Sammy Davis Jr. and says, I'd like to thank the double and the damn double ACP for this award. I mean, oh, yeah, I've seen that. And, and you see, I mean, nowadays he'd be so canceled, but, you know, these guys loved each other, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, that was back in the time when you could kind of kid around and, and, and know that, you know, the, the, the love and respect went beyond whether you said something that, uh, you know, hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with you. I agree. You could tell that it wasn't with any kind of malice. No, not at all. They were just so fond of one another, they could get away with kidding each other like that. And and like you said, I mean, the the fact that Sammy and Davis Jr. understood the the, the things that, you know, and Sinatra never put it out there. He never said, hey, I did this for this guy, I did that for this guy. He just did it. And Sammy knew that. and, And, you know, that's why he probably... Yeah, could take the kidding like that. This guy loves me. What this guy's done for me, you know. I saw uh, recently a special about uh, Sammy Davis Jr. And in some of those situations, he made those jokes about himself. Yeah. And and, uh, Sinatra and Dean Martin, these guys would kind of then follow up with another uh, tease, another comment, you know, just teasing. Yeah. Oh, there, there, there's, a, there's a couple of things where uh, uh, one time they, uh, Dean Martin introduces him and, and he says, thank you, Frank. And, and he says, well, that, that was Dean. He goes, oh, I can't, I can't tell those guys apart. And, uh, and, and then he, he said that they were talking about uh, uh, something, ju- they sing the song, he said jujitsu or something like that. And of course, Sammy was half Jewish. And, uh, and then Sam comes back with a, a wopsicle. You know, and, uh, you know, and they're like, hey, hey, you can't say that. But they're laughing and joking. I mean, you know what I mean? When people understand each other respect each other enough to where it's like okay we're having fun with this no one's getting hurt no right now that you can't you can't even begin to get to that point the funniest thing ever ever, you know the whole society has changed at this point yeah it has the funniest thing you and i being on stage and telling jokes you know 20 years ago uh, we could tell them with with uh laughter yes in, in the response but today Foster Brooks uh, in, um, roasting uh, Sammy Davis Jr. on the Dean Martin roast is the funniest yeah. thing I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's changed. I don't know what else to what 
else is. What there. do you What do you see, Willie, as the change? Uh, is it about as changed up and and as uh, constant as we're going to see it, or is it going to get worse? I I you know what? I'm hoping it doesn't. I'm I'm hoping some people. I mean, some of the bigger stars like the Dave Chappelle's and stuff. You know, uh, they're, they're you know, and, and you're seeing people come back that you thought were canceled. That you know, like uh, everybody thought you were going to see the end of Louis C.K. He's back doing his work. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully that all that loses its thing. I mean, I I hope it does. You know, I, I tell you, I uh, the one thing I like about Vegas is um, when I get on stage out there, I, I can still you know if I have a role full of uh, you know a, a bunch of African Americans or if I have a you know, if I have a couple of gay people in the front and, and we poke fun at each other and we laugh and, you know what I mean? It, it's like the old times sometimes, you know, I, I, no one's really, you know, it's so funny. I remember one time I, I had a guy in the front row, this black guy in Vegas, and I was just picking on him and he was dying. And there was a girl next to him, like a 23-year-old Karen said next to him. And she's basically like, you can't talk to him like that. And I mean, and I finally looked at this guy and I said, will you do me a favor? So what? I said, tell him to shut the fuck up. And he did, and the, crowd, and the crowd went nuts. And it was, you know, it was perfect. So, you know, that's, that's what you got to hope. You got to hope people start policing each other. And, uh, you know, let's let's have some thick skin and let's let's get back to, you know, being able to right. hit each other. Let's right. get back to what Lenny Bruce, you know, uh, the, the cost him his career over. You know what I mean? He was the well, one he, that said, words are only words. Let's Let's go. So... Right. He opened the door for a lot of us. Yeah, exactly. But say, speaking of Vegas, I know you got a gig coming up there. Tell our listeners who may be headed that way yes. and, and might have a chance to see you. I will be at the, it's not, it's no longer the Stratosphere, Robert Brown guy. It's called the Strat now. And they've remodeled oh. the whole place. And as a matter of fact, the club I'm working actually is going to be a brand new club in January down on the first floor. It's called the LA Comedy Club. Which, you know, Barangay, back in the day, I would work a club and all I had to say is, I'm going to bring a guy with me. And they'd say, bring him on. And you'd come with me and we'd have a good time. But right. now they have so many local comics that you can't do that anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, we got a guy here that's going to do it. We don't have to give him a room. But uh, it'll be the L.A. Comedy Club at the Strat. I will be there February 28th through March 7th. Perfect. Yeah. And is that a one show a night deal or is yeah. it two shows? Yeah. Okay. Oh, you know me, round guy. I know I ain't doing more than one. I can't. Uh, that's why I don't work a lot of the other clubs. A lot of the other clubs, I'll do two shows a night. I, I can't. I ain't doing two. So it's one show at eight o'clock. It's cool. The room is really nice, and they have. Uh, they work it all night. There's a six o'clock show with a guy named uh, Michael James. That's a, he's a redneck a magician who's uh, hilarious. And then we have an eight o'clock show, which is our show. And then 10 o'clock, there's a, a resident there, Butch Bradley. And uh, then they do other residents, like uh, Brent Ernst does the show there. That's Samuel Comier, whoever his name was, the guy that won uh, America's Got Talent. That's uh, he's, um, he's got something wrong with him. He's got a show there. So there's a bunch of they, – they, they work the club. You know, they keep it busy all the time. So it's a great atmosphere. I love it. Isn't it the Strat where they have the, the uh, impersonators? Uh, yeah, they 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 did, uh, but now they have uh, they have a Michael John uh, Michael Jackson uh, review. The Strat's also the place where these people are out of their minds. They bungee up the side of the top of it, and they have a roller coaster that goes right. Because yeah, they understand the stratosphere, the needle part of it. It's the tallest standing structure uh, west of the Mississippi. So I mean, it's you know, it's 
it's unbelievable. And uh, they, they have a restaurant up there that revolves. It's really great. But uh, yeah, I've, I've I've done the re- the restaurant, and it was the yeah. best meal I've ever had in yeah, a restaurant in my life. Very good. And then I did I, the you know, I, I did the I roller coaster on uh, yeah. the top, and it was the scariest thing I've ever done. Yeah, I need to get you back on the road with me again. Just uh, you know, one more time, me and you. Our farewell tour. You got it, buddy. I would love that. I'm going to make that happen. The first of our 15 farewell tours together. Exactly. Just keep going. Keep them coming, baby. Just like Kiss. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Willie, I uh, always enjoy talking to you and hearing your stories. I hope the folks listening in enjoyed our our, uh, two-part conversation. And they can catch up with you at the Strat in Vegas. Yes. You said uh, the end of February, first part of March. You got it, buddy. And and uh, anywhere locally here coming up? Uh, nothing, nothing really uh, local. I, I've got some corporates coming up, but no, uh, actually, no uh, uh, club gigs. I'm, I'm going to be uh, New Year's Eve. I'm going to be up at the Running Aces Casino up in uh, Minneapolis. Okay, so, that's a little there. closer than Vegas. Man, a little closer, and I'll be there uh, New Year's Eve for two shows. Perfect. Willie, God bless you. I love you, buddy. I love you, too. Continued success, and I hope we do get a chance to work down the road, okay? I'll make it happen, man. I love you. All right, buddy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.